Welcome to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Audio Blog, where we strive to share an authentic interpretation of Mason's life work. We thank you for joining us and hope you enjoy the program. Hello, this is Antonella Greco, and we're doing something new for this episode of the Charlotte Mason Poetry Podcast. For the first time ever, we have the whole Charlotte Mason Poetry team here for a roundtable discussion. So I'm here with Tessa Keith, Rochelle Baburina, and Art Middlecoff. We've just finished our series of Parents Review articles that touch on the upper forms and give food for thought for parents and teachers about a Charlotte Mason education for high schoolers. We wanted to take some time to share our reflections on those articles and other articles we have on the upper forms, as well as talk about our personal experiences with homeschooling through high school. Let's start with you, Rochelle. Did any of the Parents Review articles in our series stand out to you? Well, right away, the first article, I, I believe it was the first article we ran, but it was by the Reverend Costly White. There was a three-part series. It was uh, the PNEU and Public Examinations by Reverend Costly White. And then the second part was the Parents Union School and the Cambridge School Certificate by Elsie Kitching. And then it concluded with the Parents Union School Leaving Certificate by Charlotte Mason herself. And it really kind of answers the same questions that we deal with today. Is a Charlotte Mason education going to be enough? And what about these um, ACTs or standardized tests or SATs? Um, and in England, the, G, the GCSEs. Um, so I think that that really resonated with me, probably because I'd read a lot of what Charlotte Mason had said and Elsie Kitching, just based on my own kind of trying to prepare, have my children prepared uh, if they chose to go on to higher education. And um, I think it was just really nice to hear uh, because there's a, I think there's a myth that H. Costley White was called in to dispel, and that is that they are against uh, the entrance, the public examinations. Uh, but he says the truth is that the PNEU recognizes the necessity for these public examinations. He quotes Charlotte Mason quite a bit, uh, but he also points out that while they recognize the necessity, they don't believe that these exams should. Uh, tell the teacher what she should teach or what the student should be learning. So, so those were separate, distinct things. Did you think, so we had those three together, Rochelle, did you think that um, Charlotte Mason's remarks on the leaving certificate, did you find those to be more or less consistent with what Costly White and Elsie Kitching were saying later? Yes, I think that um, Charlotte Mason definitely was dealing with the times she was trying to get the the leaving certificate recognized instead of having to take the cambridge school certificate examination but at that time i don't know if you call it politically in the ac academic world they were trying to narrow down those which examinations they would take say the sat or the act so um had had they maybe applied earlier perhaps their leaving certificate, which is their exams, they would have to sit for, for their final ex exams. But um, 
that encompassed their what we would call their high school learning um but it was too late they were actually uh yeah they were trying to get rid of exams that they would accept rather than widen that scope but i like to see that charlotte mason she wasn't you know she didn't have her head in the sand mm -hmm. she was very much in touch with what was going on what uh needed to be known and um you know she felt strongly that that the girls could because at this point this was usually girls in forms five and form six but they could take the programs and then the final six months or in a different way they could be studying for their matriculation exams as well so i guess we're talking a little bit about two different things but we also have the same things in a different way in the states we have our state requirements for graduation and then we also have sats acts you know following the pandemic it's changed a bit not not every university requires one of those standardized tests for example, my youngest son, he didn't take either of those. Instead, he took something called AccuPlace that shows that he is ready for college level work in different subjects. How about you, Tessa? Did any of the parents review articles in this series stand out to you? Um, I really appreciated the parents union school work in a PNAU school. Um, this article, by Margaret Rustin. She discusses how people can use this method, Charlotte Mason method, from preschool all the way up to through high school. And having personally been in that season of life where I have children from infants, toddler, preschoolers, all the way up to going into high school, I appreciated the um, discussion of how people just encouraging and reaffirming that this method works for all stages of life and all stages of their schooling. Yeah, and I think one of the things um, she also emphasized in that article was that there's a benefit to that continuity, like not, not, you know, switching approach at a certain age or changing philosophy at a certain age, like keeping it the same and not switching it is actually beneficial for the children. And um, have you seen that with your kids, Tessa, having them kind of stay on a steady stream? Has that been helpful as they've grown older? Definitely, I think so. And I see with some of the younger ones, look and see ahead to the older ones and just kind of know that this is what our family culture is. This is what we're doing. And they kind of know what to look forward to in the upcoming years as they get older. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. And I've seen that with my my youngest, I don't have as many kids as you, but my youngest of three, you know, he's he's kind of seen what his older siblings did and was like anticipating, okay, I know I'm going to do this book at some point. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's nice to have that. Then you start to build kind of your own family culture and your family becomes like a school in itself mm -hmm. that goes from, you know, K to 12. What was your favorite article in the series, Art? Well, so my my favorite was uh, was the Boys Preparatory Schools by Thomas William Snow from 1931. I just loved that article. I, I liked it because there seemed to be like a refreshing honesty to it. Um, you know, we we emphasize with a Charlotte Mason education the love of learning as we should, and um, we believe that that children naturally have an appetite for knowledge, and that if we educate them in the right way that appetite for knowledge will increase. 
so, you know, Thomas Snow, he was speaking in front of a PNEU audience. And at one point in his talk, which we, which we have in this article, he said, I, I'm afraid I may be accused of uttering heresies. And, uh, and because he basically, you know, gave kind of a, a little bit more of an honest perspective that that maybe we don't always want to hear because we're afraid we're going to be heretical relative to Charlotte Mason if we admit that maybe not every child is going to love every single lesson that we teach them. And especially, you know, with boys and um, seeing kind of the difference between my daughter and how she reacted to certain things and versus my two sons. And, um, you know, Thomas Snow, he asked this question. He said, when all is said and done, would we like to see him dash in from the field with shouts of joy when the school bell rings? True, we expect him to, to return willingly, but we cannot look for more. But once we have him inside the classroom, there ought to be present a quiet atmosphere of keenness and enjoyment. And I think that's like a, you know, if you're a, a parent of boys, you know, expecting them to have shouts of joy when it's time mm -hmm. for lessons, you know, maybe that's a little unrealistic, but it is realistic to, to have this attitude of keenness and enjoyment. And then he says also that like not every type of subject is going to be interesting for everyone. So he brings out, he talks about grammar, Latin, French, and math as the ones that are going to be for many kids less enjoyable. He said the average boy can hardly be said to enjoy these for themselves. Now, I don't quite agree with that because uh, I've seen, you know, one of my son's math is his favorite subject um, and he likes grammar. But I think the point here is that there's there's going to be certain things that some of your kids just won't like. And I think that's okay. Like, I think I just like it that, that I felt like um, that uh, Thomas Snow is sort of giving us permission to accept that and maybe even to acknowledge that with our children. And he talks about pointing things in a different light. Like maybe your kids just love history and love literature because the stories are exciting, um, but maybe they don't like, you know, the Latin grammar or the quadratic equation. And he talks about a particular way to talk about it with boys. And he said, let, he says, let the boy feel that in mastering Latin grammar, sentence construction, quadratic equations, or Pythagoras, he is forging a weapon that will stand him in good stead. Um, its immediate use being to enable him to carve his way up to the school and into the next um, with the possibility of a university career. Um, it'll go into making him an exact man and, um, and that, and that, you know, as he grows old, the weapon, he may cast it aside, or it may become a weapon, which will be a pleasure for him to use during the rest of his life. And so that there's a, you know, again, as a father of boys, and knowing that um, sometimes the challenge, the appeal, sometimes, you know, young men like to be challenged and to know, hey, you're, you're doing something that's not easy. And if you, if you take on this challenge, and if you overcome this challenge, it's like you're forging a weapon that will be useful to you, maybe not for the rest of your life, but for part of your life. And, um, you know, there are moments when we sit down and my, my 15 year old, who I'm, who's the, the one I have at home now, you know, he'll sit down for, you know, say, well, you know, I'll just use Latin as an example. He'll sit down and say, dad, <clears throat> I don't, I don't like Latin. And so instead of like thinking, oh my goodness, what am I doing wrong? You know, what's, well, you should, where's the love of learning? Um, or tell him that he's wrong. I say, you know, that that's okay. Um, you know, you don't have to like it, um, but, but we're going to do it and uh, you're good at it. 
and um, you know, and and let's just move on to the next challenge. And uh, and so I just found that that was very helpful. And I think when when I hear from parents who are kind of frustrated about not seeing this this love of learning, um, I would point them to this to this article. And um, he also talks about um, you know kind of preparing. He talks about uh, doing weekly tests in some subjects, which of course is not the way Charlotte Mason operated with her programs. There were uh, tests only at the end of terms. But I think that there are times when, you know, inserting certain things that will prepare them for, you know, if they're going, to, if they are planning to go on to college or higher education, doing some things in high school um, at home to prepare them for that can be good so that they're not, they have a less jarring experience when they move on to a more academic world. So I thought Thomas Snow did a good job bringing that out as well. So, uh, so I just, I just, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm super excited about that article. I loved it um, as uh, um, particularly for, from the perspective of a man teaching his sons. So that, that was my pick. How about you, Antonella? Was there an article um, from our series that resonated with you in particular? I really enjoyed the article called Education in the Parents Union School by Mrs. Shelley. It's from 1936, and it was very recently aired on our podcast. In this article, Mrs. Shelley talks about the main difficulties of modern life that we need to consider as parent educators. Sort of like what you were mentioning um, now in your pick, Art, she cautions us against specialization mm -hmm. of the children in high school or at any age really. And um, she encourages us that with the width and breadth of the Mason method, these children born persons are able to encounter their loves, their passions, the things that give them life. She encourages us that our children should use their talents for the good of the community. And she emphasizes that we want them to have an abundant life, both as children and later as adults. One of our followers made a comment on our website regarding this article, and I quote, this is the most concise, inspiring, and relevant article on a living books CM philosophy approach through high school. I wish I had the capacity to say all of these things myself. I will be sharing. I don't think I could say it better myself than our friend did here. The things that Mrs. Shelley discusses from almost 90 years ago are the very same concerns that we parents have today for our children. And I'd encourage all of us to listen to Jennifer Powell's lovely recording of it and be inspired. Now, in addition to these recent PR articles, we also produced a few original articles on homeschooling high school. Michelle, would you like to discuss one of these? Art and I wrote, a, we co-authored an article called Math for Older Students. And in it, we go through the three educational keys as it pertains to the teaching of mathematics through um, atmosphere, discipline, and life. And then we also addressed uh, choosing and using textbooks and sharing in the effort to know that's you know, how we as parents teach maybe beyond what, uh, what we had in high school or in college. And then how far is enough? How far do we go uh, with, the, with the subjects in, in our high school math education? Thanks, Rochelle. Art, could you tell us about another one? So um, back in 2021, um, I wrote an article called The Teaching of Chemistry, which talks about high school chemistry and how that can be taught in light of Charlotte Mason's principles. And um, as I had been studying 
you know, for many years and pondering on the question of science instruction in the Charlotte Mason method, I kind of concluded that there are three main aspects of science that Charlotte Mason talks about. There's the qualitative aspect, what I call the qualitative aspect. And to quote Charlotte Mason, she says, the principles which are simple, profound, and far-reaching. And I call these qualitative because they're not represented by numbers. You know, these are the big ideas of, of chemistry and physics. And then the second element or aspect is the, uh, the experiential. And um, by this, I refer to like experiments and labs, which Charlotte Mason says are used by way of illustration. And then the third aspect is the quantitative. And by this, I mean like the numerical side of science, which is the basis of technology. And Charlotte Mason said, you know, quote, this, the application is so technical and so minute as to be unnecessary for schoolwork or for general knowledge, quote. And so that's led to a belief maybe that, that science in a Charlotte Mason approach never needs to have the mathematical element. And I would say that what I kind of conclude in this article, which you can read and kind of agree or disagree with me, but what I kind of say is that what she thought as being unnecessary for school knowledge or general, uh, unnecessary for schoolwork or general knowledge in her day, I think is actually pretty relevant. And for many students, it is necessary for schoolwork. And for many of us, it is necessary or important for general knowledge. Um, and so, um, but the good news is that I think there are ways to include the quantitative side of science without sacrificing the Charlotte Mason method, because math itself is quantitative. And there's a whole Charlotte Mason approach to the teaching of math that, you know, the, the article that Rochelle was talking about goes into depth about how, um, you know, atmosphere, discipline, and life all bear on how to teach uh, math in a way that, uh, that that reflects Charlotte Mason's unique philosophy. And so I think, so what I talk about in my article is how to incorporate Charlotte Mason's insights on the teaching of math to include this third dimension of, of science instruction um, in, in chemistry. So um, I'd love for people to check that out and maybe share their, their feedback or thoughts on that. And, um, you know, that's, that's basically what I did. I mean, so with my high school students at home, you know, we, we took that approach. And one of those um, high school students who was not interested in, in STEM and was not interested in becoming an engineer or a technologist or anything like that, but I still had her do all the math side of chemistry, is my daughter. And Antonella, you interviewed my daughter Ainsley, and I think that's probably relevant to this theme of high school. So can you talk a little bit about that interview? Well, Art, it was an absolute pleasure to chat with Ainsley as um, she was beginning her college experience. And the podcast episode is called From Charlotte Mason to College, and it is one of my favorites for sure. That conversation with her really encouraged me in many, many ways. Ainsley is so thoughtful in the way she shares about her experiences. And that interview to me is like a testament to this method of parenting, this method of educating, this method of living life. It's a great encouragement to keep going, to keep at this Charlotte Mason lifestyle, to keep providing the wide feast for our children, to keep forming relationships with people, books and things. I really liked hearing how her narration skills had been useful to her uh, beginning college experience. In that interview, she told me that she would narrate her college classes to her mom and her grandpa on the phone, which I thought was really amazing. She um, also encourages parents to let their high schoolers organize their own week's schedule 
because she found that to be very useful for organizing her studies uh, in college. And I think this is something that I've been thinking a lot about as my daughter's in grade nine at this point. I think that our listeners will be inspired by listening or re-listening to Ainsley's interview and the link to that interview um, at the show notes page. We had our team retreat last month and Rochelle, you made a post on social media asking people what they would like to see more of from CMT. One person replied in a comment and said, how about something regarding keeping mama's mojo going in the upper years when you're on the home stretch? Rochelle, how would you answer that question? Well, I would say that um, to continue to grow as a person and not forget yourself, um, especially all the way back in the young in the younger years when we're busy with babies, toddlers, little ones. Uh, in in the article, Mother Culture, it said that if you give all of yourself during that time, then you won't have anything left of yourself when your children are teenagers, and so. Things that we can do to continue to grow would be to have a worthwhile hobby. Um, you know, it, it could be knitting, sewing, um, learning something new. I remember, I think, is in Formation of Character, where Charlotte Mason says, if your mind is always running with offenses against someone else, pick up and learn algebra. Um, but it could be uh, reading a wide variety of things. Uh, learning how an engine works, things like this, just to continue to feed yourself. Uh, if you continue to feed yourself all the way through, even if it's just, you know, minutes a day, hopefully 30 minutes of the 24 hours in a day you could find. But I think that that is definitely key to uh, to not expending yourself and wearing yourself out fully by the time your kids are in high school. Um, I think that's good advice, even in small chunks, you know, sometimes maybe 30 minutes even could seem insurmountable. But if you do a little bit every day, it's much like the same way that we do educating. If you do a little bit consistently, you can build that up. So Rochelle, was there like a, was there like a learning hobby or something that you, that you gravitated to during your years of homeschooling that sustained you through the whole course? I would say definitely uh, the art, mm. um, not only picture study, but also um, nature study. I continued on um, without, you know, without my kids learning how to, you know, really learning how to watercolor with using the technique of brush drawing. I would do that very late at night mm. uh, when the kids were in bed and it was um, that that kept me going and it um, just turned into a, you know, at first it was just a challenge because I couldn't get my brush to make, you know, to make a plant look like a plant in my nature journal. So it was a challenge to me that, that I accepted. Um, and so that was something that I, I like to do research on and then late at night, try to conquer that and learn how to make the, my hand, um, and eyes coordinate together. So Rochelle, like we've seen, you know, your artwork, like on the cover of Commonplace Quarterly, you know, we've seen stuff in your gallery. It kind of gives the impression that you were just kind of born an artist and that you've just kind of always 
been able to paint, but are you are you saying that um, that maybe it wasn't always that way, and that you took up arting, or you took up learning to art and paint as something when you were actually homeschooling? Yes, definitely. I mean, I I I loved art. I loved art history, but I never thought that I myself could actually paint. And so, um, so to you know, if I had to, if I was reading. Charlotte's words, um, you know, that we can all learn this or Emmeline Steinthal's words. And so I hadn't picked up a paintbrush since I think high school in a mandatory art class. So no, I I couldn't. I did, you know, I just put in the the practice, but then it, it yeah, so I, it became a passion later. <laughs> That's fantastic. So you had that passion, which is now born fruit in terms of, you know, activities you're involved in now. And you're saying that 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 passion also kind of gave you energy as you were teaching your your kids when they got older. Right. Because, you know, if we want our kids to change, you know, change their brain space, what they're doing from math to handicrafts to um, maybe dancing and then music so that they're continually using a different part of their brain or their body. But we as moms are continually, you know, teaching. We don't necessarily always have that brain change. So I think it's important. Plus it's important just because when you're, when your kids are become teenagers, um, we don't want them to surpass us because we have stopped growing while they continue to pursue their interests, especially with this wide uh, curriculum that, that we're giving them. So they're in their free time, they're pursuing interests, they're learning things. And then if they pass us and we're not growing as well, it just becomes a, oh, it's just mom later in life. So I think that it has helped me maintain a healthy relationship with my boys now that they're 19 and 21, because, um, you know, because they recognize that I'm a person. Oh, that's mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. And isn't it great that the feast that we're setting for our children is also a feast for ourselves? Like, it's pretty amazing. Another question that was asked was, how about when the feast feels too crowded? When upper form students push back because they now have multiple interests and discovered abilities they want to pursue but feel stretched thin because there's just so much. I know, Art, that you have said not to neglect the feast in the upper years of high school. How would you answer this question? Yeah, that's that's a really good good question, and um, I, I definitely believe in the banquet. And I've told people, you know, I've told numerous audiences to not neglect the feast in high school. Um, but I want to say at the same time that I've not been like legalistic about it, and in fact, I've even been accused of hypocrisy on this point when I when I admit that, for example, we left out, you know, we didn't do sulfa or we didn't do Swedish drill or something like that. And then and then I've had people say, well, wait a minute, you said don't neglect the feast. You're neglecting the feast. So I, I think I don't mean literally. So my first answer would be I don't mean literally like every single, you know, thing has to happen in high school. Um, but but I do think that that the feast is important. And I will go back to the article that Antonella shared about, you know, she read, you know, about um, the article, the Parents Review article um, from 90 years ago about how uh, we don't want to, the, the danger of specialization um, by Claudia Shelley and how um, specialization is dangerous. And Claudia Shelley gives this example of, okay, so suppose you have this girl who's going to become a professional pianist. 
Um, do you just stop doing everything else? You know, I guess I would go back to the, the question, you know, well, she's this girl's in high school. She wants to play piano. Why trouble her with these other subjects in the feast? But what Claudia Shelley is saying is she'll be a better pianist if she has, uh, you know, learned more. She said, will the pianist not be a far better balanced artist? and more completely master of the art if she recognizes the great stark truths of science and has some knowledge of the discipline of mathematics. And so that, that actually even ties back to what I was saying earlier about my article on the teaching of chemistry. Here's a, here's a pianist who's not going to go into a STEM subject, but Claudia Shelley is saying, won't you be a better pianist if you understand the big ideas of science and even understand the math that, that undergirds, um, that, that undergirds, uh, you know, music itself. And then, you know, the other thing she talked about um, is, is she said, Claudia Shelley in her article, she said that, you know, sometimes you don't get to do in life the, the thing that you actually want. So, so something you may think your vocation, so this pianist, you know, maybe she thought that she was going to be a concert pianist and that was going to be her career, but maybe it didn't work out for her. And so um, sometimes you end up that the sad truth is sometimes in life, we end up in jobs or having an occupation that's not what we really set out to do or wanted to do. And so um, what, what Claudia Shelley says is the foundation of the feast in these years, including the high school years, is, uh, is important to give a rich contact with many interesting aspects of life so that uh, so that this person can be so that you're when your young person grows up and is in the real world can be sustained with these multiplicity of interests, even if um, their job is not as interesting to them, or or even if they are stuck with chores and things that they they don't find super fulfilling. But if they have a rich connection and interest in poetry and literature and math and science and languages and so on, it will give them a greater fullness in life. So um, so my you know I would kind of encourage. Um, this this questioner to um, to 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 you know look at what what Shelley talks about in her article and to think about um, the importance of using these very valuable high school years to form relationships. You know, Charlotte Mason talks about the difference between interests and relationships. Interests can be passing; they can come and go. But education is a science of relations or relationships, meaning form a relationship with history, with language, with art, with music, with science. Um, and it's a relationship that you have for life that you continue to develop and take part in, and it continues to enrich you for, for the years to come. Now, Rochelle and Art, both of you have graduated two of your children from homeschool, high school, and you both use the Charlotte Mason method for all those years. Besides these two particular questions, I'd love to hear about some of your experiences homeschooling high school in general. Could you go first, Rochelle? Sure. So, well, piggybacking on what Art had said, I am really glad that we did we did not drop off even in our, you know, in busy times, we we kept our our composer study, we kept our um, learning about artists, we kept reading poetry. And we kept going out in nature and that, um, you know, we couldn't have foreseen some of the things in life that we have gone through. And but those things have sustained have sustained my boys. And, um, you know, even now that they're at, uni at university, you know, and they're working at the same time, 
they know if they're overwhelmed that they can take a walk in the woods, that that type of a thing. And then the other experience I would say would be um, because my youngest is dyslexic and uh, Charlotte Mason education, um, some people think of it as as just literature based, but it's much more than that. And the ability to uh, to take things like language arts at, at my son's pace did if I didn't have to change to a separate philosophy or something like this. And um, he was able to, he became a fluent reader because of many of the aspects of this holistic education. And um, so I think that those are probably just some things that you don't have to change. Um, you don't have to change your methods maybe just change your pace. And that could be even going faster for, for a, you know, if your student is great in math, you don't want to hold him back either. So Rochelle, how did your relationship with your boys evolve when they reached the high school years? Well, you know, it, it was, um, there were times where there were tensions because boys don't necessarily want to be taking instruction from their, from their mothers. But I think that based and, you know, because I think I put out an SOS maybe to you and your wife, Barbara, um, just to discuss kind of what was happening. It was especially starting around 14. But because we had tied so many heartstrings together mm -hmm. um, in the earlier years, um, you know, even though there was a certain tension and, and a lot of me learning how to let go, I do think Charlotte Mason is brilliant in those later forms where the um, the students are able to choose uh, from from books set in the programs that that they aren't necessarily told this is the one, but they might have five books to choose from. So they get to have some ownership of mm -hmm. their education. I think that Charlotte Mason education students definitely have ownership of it, but this is this is like an extra level of ownership, right? Because they're doing their own work, but the ability to choose. Um, but, you know, my boys recently moved back home um, just based on the cost of living now. So while they're going to school, they're back at home and we have a we have a great relationship. I'm certainly happy that we had instilled um, the discipline of habit um, in the early years. And we didn't, you know, even I just remember in math class in the high school years, I think it was like, um, Algebra two, and one of my sons decided he he wasn't going to write his work neatly anymore, just kind of as a way to push the envelope, and um, and I didn't allow him to get away with that, though it probably could have been easier at the time. I didn't allow it, and I think that that you know, so in the long run, that that helped because he maintained um, his respect for me and and slipshod habits, you know, weren't allowed to come in. And that's definitely helping, helping him now in life. That's great. Thanks, Rochelle. And Art, having taken two of your children through homeschool, high school, what experiences would you like to share with us? So, um, so Rochelle, you know, mentioned that sometimes there can be a tension between boys and mom at about the age of 14, 15, 16. So that definitely happened with our firstborn. And um, he he was not 
he's not a maybe a naturally docile yeah, uh, boy. And um, so, you know, when it came to the, you know, the, the, the transition into high school, um, you know, he was not, he was not really responding to Barbara, my wife, Barbara's authority as the school teacher. And, um, and so Barbara, you know, came to me and said, um, you know, what, this isn't, what are we going to do? And, um, and so at the time, um, you know, I made one of the hardest decisions uh, of my life, really, um, is, uh, you know, I had to decide, do I, um, you know, I've been such a proponent of homeschooling, but do I, do we say, well, you know, we are homeschooling up into high school, and now we stop? Um, or do I ask Barbara to do something that she doesn't feel like she can do or, or feel um, joyful in? Or what are my choices? And so I decided that um, that I would that I would do my son's high school in the evenings. So I was working full time, um, and I said, "Well, I'll come home from work, and we'll do. You know, there's four hours in the evening. We've got the weekends. I will just homeschool uh, outside uh, after my job." And um, and I remember making that decision and going to a Charlotte Mason conference and sitting with a group of dads. And we were talking about what we were doing. And I said, well, you know, starting next year, I'm going to be the primary homeschooler for my son. I'm going to teach him high school. And I, and I was embarrassed to say it because I felt like I might as well have been sitting with those guys and said, well, you know, next year I'm going to climb Mount Everest. And after <laughs> I climb Mount Everest, I'm going to fly to the moon. My, you know, I'm gonna, my, I'm, that's my, and they're like, well, that's pretty ambitious. No, I'm going to do it. Like, I'm really going to get to the moon. By the end of four years, I mean, I, I felt I honestly, quite honestly, I felt like a fool when I was saying that I felt like, like I am uttering empty words, like I'm telling them that I'm going to climb on Everest, and I'm going to make it to Tibet. And I'm going to, you know, I'm not even going to make it to like the first village on the slope, and they're <laughs> going to laugh at me. And I, and, and I feel like that moment of recognizing that I was a attempting to do something which to me felt was was utterly impossible shame shamefully impossible um was probably mm. like the best thing for me best place to be starting this journey because it helped me realize my total dependence on God and my total insufficiency for the task and um and and that I just needed to have the audacity to do something ridiculous that I had every, all the odds were stacked against me to failure. And, and I think that, um, you know, I'm glad that I stepped out to do, to do something that was so impossible. And I didn't know these subjects. I, I had forgotten, you know, the higher level math. I didn't know the, the chemistry. I, I mean, I took it in high school, but I forgotten it all. And so I had to relearn all of these things. And I didn't have time to just do it all up front. Like I couldn't just take a summer out and just, you know, redo high school and relearn every subject. I had to learn it like at the same time, literally at the same time. And so we were learning together. We learned physics together. We learned science together. We learned math together. And um, I just had to admit that I was on the same level. I was not, um, I didn't have all the answers. And so, um, you know, learning with um you know learning with your child at high school especially is just so important and being okay with that being okay with um just being one hour ahead one day ahead or no time ahead puzzling over the problem together 
Um, you know, we have an article by a, by a Mrs. Brown, a parents review article who shares her experience of being a homeschool teacher and how um, there were moments when she couldn't answer the questions that her kids had about math. And so they went and answered them together. And it was part of the joy of learning together as a family. So I guess, um, you know, it was a it was a terribly difficult decision. It was an embarrassing decision, but it's one that was also now looking back on it, it's probably the best decision, you know, one of the best decisions I've made in my life because, um, you know, I didn't give my son a perfect high school education, um, but what I got was a bond with him and a relationship with him. And, uh, you know, he... Um, you know, he went to uh, a job, you know, he had to do an internship as part of his college. And when he was a freshman in college and he went to a job fair and he was meeting different recruiters and a recruiter like, you know, looked, you know, looked at his uh, high school transcript and he said, my dad taught me all of these things. And, um, and the recruiter, you know, said, wow, you know, pass along my regards to your dad. I mean, it's like, we have a bond now that I think we wouldn't have had otherwise. And so uh, maybe he could have gotten a better education from somebody else or in some other way. Um, but uh, but I wouldn't have done it any differently for the for the world. I mean, there were things that were mistakes that I made. I mean, I never I think that I neglected the feast. I mean, um, you know, I was so concerned about trying to get him ready for college and I was so stripped for strapped for time and I was struggling. Um, and so I cut a lot of corners and I regret cutting those corners. And so, um, you know, when, when my daughter got to high school, I learned from those experiences. Um, you know, there's a really, there's an interesting, in the very, very first volume of the Parents Review, um, there's a really interesting letter from a mother and she's, she's writes this letter asking for guidance. And she's saying, you know, she said, um, she's asking the the parents review readers and editors to tell her basically how to teach her kids and there and she says quote this would very much help many a young mother who has to buy her experience at the cost of many failures through ignorance and that's like that's my story that's my story as like a homeschool dad is i had to buy my experience at the cost of many failures through ignorance um, but the but the nice thing about it is that then my daughter came along and I was I had now learned some things and so I was able to do some things differently and so I made sure that we kept up with nature study and my daughter loves nature study and being in college she's loved to go out in nature and go on walks and things like that so I I, I was able to correct that and now um, with my 15 year old um, you know we're doing he loves composer study music appreciation we he's learning so much now from picture study and from Shakespeare and he's learning so much from his book of centuries and it's like if you stop those things like we start you know it's like we can start so idealistic and we can love picture study with our little kids and we can love nature study with our little kids and then something happens they reach 14 and then it's like okay <laughs> We're just right. going to put all that in a box and we're going to pack it up and put it away. But but actually the real fruit starts to emerge in those later years. And all of those early years of picture study to start to open up with real deep appreciation of art and music in those very high school years. So, so to drop it, to abandon it. It's so tragic because it's it's um it it's ending the it's it's ending the journey when it could really start bringing the deepest value to to your kids and your family, um, so so I've learned from those experiences and I'm doing things different now. And I do a couple other notes. I mean, I will say that you know preparing in addition to the whole feast, I think it's important to to prepare 
your kids with skills for college and life. Um, my daughter's very first time walking into a public school building was to take the ACT, um, but I had prepared her for that moment because I gave her many practice tests, um, even though that's not in the programs and it's not everybody's advising to do that, but I gave her that experience because when she walked into that public school and was surrounded by all those kids with their number two pencils and all that, I wanted her to feel confident. And uh, so I've made every effort to make sure she learned how to use word processing spreadsheets, how to write essays, um, how to manage her time so that um, so that when she got to college, she wasn't suddenly having to learn all of these things on her own. And I think as she expressed to Antonella in that interview, I think she's she's expressed that she was very appreciative for that. Uh, and then I you know another thing I'll mention is um, Charlotte Mason in volume five, she talks about the importance of of, giving our children a foundation in their faith. And she says, quote, let their zeal be according to knowledge, lay the foundations of their faith, put earnest intellectual work into their hands. Let them feel the necessity of bracing up every power of mind they have to gain comprehension of the breadth and depth of the truths they are called to believe, quote. So I took that to heart. And uh, when my last two years of high school, both with Palmer and with Ainsley, we read um, William Paley's "A View of the Evidences," uh, "A View of the Evidences of Christianity," and I know it was impactful to my daughter because her freshman year, she was talking to another student um, at college, and she called me up and she said, "Dad, what was the name? Send me a picture of that book we read," um, because she wanted to share the things that she had learned with with um, a seeker um, student who was in the dorm who was asking questions about Christianity. So um, I guess one last thing I'll say about, about uh, high school is I just would say one last thing, which is I think it's important to think about your goals and what are your goals for your children and what are your goals for your family. And uh, to not just kind of go with the flow and do what everyone else is doing, not do what everyone in your co-op is doing or what your favorite podcast says to do or, or you know, what, but but to actually think about what you're trying to accomplish and what you want to see for yourself and your family and for your children. Um, you know, I got an email from uh, from a parent of high school high schoolers, and she was struggling to decide between, you know, sending her kids back to school, um, doing online classes, trying to continue to homeschool, and, and she wanted to know what she could do. What, 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 what was she allowed to do? And I replied to her and I said, I don't believe that there is a single formula or rule for applying the Charlotte Mason method at any level, and especially not in high school. Many options are possible. I think the question to ask is not, could I, but rather, should I? Of all the possible options, what is best for you and your family? And then I listed her some questions like, what are your goals for your son after he finishes high school? What are his goals? Um, what do you feel equipped to teach or not? What is your relationship like with your son? What does your son want to be doing? And uh, and I got a response from this, this um, mother who said, thank you for this message, especially the self-reflective questions, which I have neglected to address from the very start of our homeschool journey. Wow. And so I think my number one advice would be take some time out from the busyness of life. Um, and as your children are approaching the high school years, go on a retreat, go on a prayer retreat, go off by yourself and ask yourself these big questions and make sure that what that the decisions you make about how you're going to homeschool in high school are um, are are uh, 
are setting you up for what you believe God is calling you and your family to do and to be. That just, I mean, it just reminds me of Paul's words to Timothy, think upon these things and the Lord will reveal them to you. So you do need to take some time to actually think upon these things, uh, pray about them. I It just reminded me of um, trying to think, was it, if it, yes, it was the the article that that most spoke to you, the snow article. Um, and he, he talks at the end, he says that, um, you know, he says, I leave you with the impression that we are greatly attached to the PNEU and all that it stands for, for such is indeed the truth. At the same time, any school that is worthwhile should possess an individuality of its own. And I think about that in regards to families, that our families are going to be very different from one another. Um, he says, we must remember no method of education can ever be like a magician's wand for anyone to wave and say, and hey, presto, a miracle is performed. A method, however excellent, requires exponents who are not only keen and enthusiastic believers in its efficacy, but also possessed of a willingness at all times to learn from apparent failure. A parent, not a parent, apparent failure, striving always to disprove the ancient proverb, you can take a horse to the water, but you cannot make it drink. Um, I just, I know that, um, you know, even in times, I mean, I, I've made so many mistakes. I could definitely fill, fill a book with the mistakes I made. Um, but just the fact that I took time to think, especially if, you know, to really pray about each of my children individually. And it was really revealed to me that, that my youngest, um, he really needed a really good um, male mentorship. And so um, I was able to find a blacksmith instructor for him. And that also in those teen years for young men, they they really need to be doing some physical things as well, whether it's a sport or or digging a hole or, you know, building something or in my son's case, you know, banging on, on metal and um, and it did wonders for our homeschool. And then, and now he's, he's a, a machine tool operations is what he's getting his degree in. And so he's able to transfer um, what he's know what he knows about metal, you know, into this and working a mill and a lathe are completely different. But he did, he did tell me one night, um, it was after his blueprint reading class and they were doing they had to do isometric drawings and he just slides into the car and he says thanks so much mom for giving me so much free time because they had their afternoons pretty free and so I asked why and he said well do you remember how um, I had gotten him this isometric notebook just a notebook where he could do isometric drawings and he said tonight we we had to do isometric drawings and he said not only was I able to finish mine in 10 minutes, he said, but then I was able to go and help the students that were struggling with it. And so it was just, you know, that was just very, it was very sweet. And I will say that both my boys have told me individually that they believe their Charlotte Mason education prepared them well for college. That's so wonderful, Rochelle. And it's a good reminder to all of us to stay open to the promptings of the spirit in that, right? And to take the time of quiet and prayer and seeking what it is that God wants from us in this, because we can get so caught up in the busyness of the everyday that we don't 
give the space to this kind of thinking and praying and yeah that's amazing i think so and i think that um with thinking about that something some mothers may have and fathers out there thinking about this and they want to do it but they think that it's just too hard to homeschool high school rochelle and art what would you say to parents who have those doubts well i'll just give a very short answer and that is because the um the practices set upon these principles and in this way by the time we've already been ourselves learning how to apply the method in our home schools that um, as we go into high school the methods primarily stay the same it's the you know the books might be a little more difficult uh, we might expand um oh what is her name Daphne who wrote about how we teach literature she she talks about it as plowing a field and as your students are getting older you're just maybe plowing one more row so it's not like you have to suddenly make um a 10 mile leap it's just kind of um continuing to kind of organically grow and so i don't think it's it's any more difficult many things become a lot easier in high school too i would say what do you think art what becomes easier rochelle <laughs> the fact that they can drive themselves places <laughs> that's one of the things um there's a certain a certain amount of maturity is coming and um you know the ability to work uh not always independently hear me right like like, I don't think that math is ever an independent, quote unquote, independent subject that you just hand them the book and, and make them hole away for four hours up in their room. But the yeah. fact, but as you are, um, you know, as you are their teacher guide, they are able to work independently. They are able to, I think what Ainsley pointed out was giving them the ability to have control of their schedule. Those things are quite nice. I think that's a really good point, Rochelle. And I think, you know, I mentioned um, just I, I when I contemplated te teaching my firstborn through high school, terror is probably the best word I could use to describe how I felt about it. I mean, I remember move, we moved about that time and in the neighborhood, um, this this neighbor, you know, asked asked what we were doing for school. And I said, well, I'm, I'm home, you know, we're homeschooling our high schooler. And this person just looked, she looked at me like I was, like I was, like I was kind of throwing my kids away. Like I was just surrendering mm -hmm. their future. And I mean, I mean, it just spoke, her look and her words just spoke to all of my insecurities and, mm -hmm. and I, and it was terrifying. Um, but, you know, when it came, you know, after going through that journey, when it came to my daughter, uh, the, I didn't have the same fears um, because I think Rochelle, you're right. I think I had seen the resourcefulness of a high schooler and how they do much of their own work and how they take responsibility for their learning. And so um, the challenges were still there and it was still difficult and it still took an enormous amount of time. Um, but but I wasn't plagued with that fear. And I think that um, start approaching high school as a homeschooler, I think any, it's easy for all of us to feel that fear. For me, you know, it was the terror of like, how can I do this on top of all my other responsibilities? I think that, 
you know, for, for someone in a different situation, it could be a different kind of fear uh, of saying, you know, the world, the world giving a message saying you as a mom or you as a dad, you're not worthy. You don't have the certification. You don't have the skills or whatever. And um, having the courage in faith to stand against that message of the world, which says you can't do it, um, but to trust in in uh, the provision of God, the provision of the Holy Spirit, the gifts that he's given you as a parent, the special insight he's given you as a parent, and the capability that is given your children, your young person who is born a person and who has all the cap capacities of personhood and all the talents and abilities and hunger for knowledge. You have incredible resources with you. And maybe all of those resources are not, you know, I couldn't, if I told the guys at that conference, I'm going to climb Mount Everest, you know, I, I couldn't climb Mount Everest. So I told them I was going to go to the moon. I couldn't go to the moon, but I told them that I was going to homeschool high school. And I did because that was my calling. And God gave me the provision to do that. So with the resources that you have, maybe you won't go to the moon. Maybe you won't take your kids to the top of Mount Everest. But what you can do is you can fulfill the calling that God has on your life and their life. And he will give you the resources to accomplish that. Um, so that would be the encouragement that I would offer. All right. Well, well, thank you, everybody. Um, you know, I hope this is the first time we've had a discussion like this with all the members of our team um, kind of getting together and talking about our lives and the articles that we've been publishing. And I hope this was interesting and helpful for people. I certainly I'm sure we all would be interested in feedback from our listeners. So if you thought this format was helpful, and there are other topics you'd like to hear us discuss, um, please let us know. Um, you can reply in a comment on the show notes page, or you can always email me with your feedback. You can email me at art at charlottemasonpoetry.org or Antonella or Rochelle or Tessa at charlottemasonpoetry.org. And um, we definitely look forward to hearing from you and uh, hearing other questions or feedback. So thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thanks. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the program.